This place smells like butter, bacon, sausage, and juice. Gonna mess with breakfast, princess, cause she called me Pamplemousse. Hello, daddy. Hello, mommy. It's so nice to be here with you now. It's episode 43 of Flooping the Pig, and we're gonna... We're going to talk about some episodes as we get really freaking close to catching up to Adventure Time's live airing of episodes. So, welcome. Justin, thanks for the Crab Apples Giuseppe. It's, a, I think, the longest title to date until we get to later in this episode. Why don't you tell us what happened in it? I'll try! It starts off with, there's a bunch of people on a bus, and they pick up Ice King. On this bus are Ice King, and Abracadaniel, and... Oh, God, so many people. Ron it's, James. Yeah, he's guy, going, yep. Little Buddy. Right. The hat um, the the episode Little Buddy was actually there yeah. in speaking. Ancient Cognitive. Sleeping Magi of Life. Of course. And, of course, Bo. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah nobody, just nobody knew who Bo was. But, hey, right. Bo was there. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, of course, there was an old blue geezer name that they just, they didn't know who he was. But uh, Ice King named him Giuseppe, and he let out a very loud, wet fart. So I guess how do you he... know it was wet? <laughs> it just sounded wet to me. Like it, didn't... it could have just been dusty. No, that's I guess I've never. I don't think I've heard a dusty fart. So uh, it's certainly possible. Anyway, let's get off this topic right away. <laughs> so they all hop in a bus, and they got one more stop to make, and it's Finn and Jake. And the other guy's like, no way, they'll go with us. But there are some water dimps uh, sort of out by uh, near their house. Abercadaniel invites them to come. And uh, on this journey that they're going on, I'll get into the journey in a second. And then uh, they're like, no. But then uh, Ron James is like, ladies. And they're like, whoa, do you know this guy? Just because he acts confidently. So they immediately kind of jump on the bus. It's not just because he acts confidently. He had a spell to make his eyes irresistible. Is that what it was? Because he, like, dropped something, too, and uh, I wasn't really paying attention. So, anyway, Ron James's spell eyes tricked him into getting on the bus, we'll say. So, anyway, yeah, they were originally just going to get Finn and Jake, but Finn saw them out the window, and they didn't really like the idea of going on a wizard journey, just as the wizards predicted. So, as they drive off... It turns out, I guess, Finn and Jake changed their minds, so they were coming out with, like, a backpack on, and then they were both disappointed that the bus had already driven off. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't get to go on this trip. Um, which, the trip is kind of a magic users only thing anyway. It's, they're gonna go to Butt Rock, I think the name of it is, and they're gonna start, uh, kind of spouting, uh, incantations that, and they're gonna kind of basically try to create a new form of magic of some kind. Or just birth something new. So, um, so that's the plan, and they they're heading on the bus, and it almost immediately fails. They end up in like a a cow pat, or not a cow pasture, but just like in a field with cows and wheat and shit. And so they're there for a little bit, and they start kind of using it for inspiration. And Ice King does some dancing while they all kind of write poetry down. And then the farmer comes out with like a shotgun, I think, just shooting it in the air. But he's real short, so he can't really see him all that well. Uh, so, using his ice powers, Ice King creates an ice slick, and then uses kind of his other hand to kind of use a force of momentum, and just gets them going on this ice slick. And they go for a ways, and then, um, he lets Abracadaniel take over, because he's kind of exhausted, and they switch headgear. So then Abracadaniel's doing it, 
Um, and they're inside, and Ice King starts reading people's poetry, and he starts with uh, Giuseppe. I've missed the part. They lose Giuseppe at some point uh, because there's some there's a tree with a bunch of crab apples growing, and they they send Giuseppe out to go get these crab apples. And the bus starts. They have to like push the bus to get it moving again, and they all can hop on, but he can't. He's not quick enough because he's an, an old dusty farting guy. So he throws in the crab apples, but then he can't make it. So Ice King just says uh, that we, we lost Giuseppe. So he reads his poetry that they're writing on toilet paper, um, and it's this beautiful poem about uh, fathers and daughters that moves everyone to tears. Um, and it's really powerful stuff that, which Ice King immediately blows his nose into. So I read some other people's stuff and it's good too. And they start getting close to, they can see the butt that they're headed toward. Uh, so Ice King calls for a cauldron and kind of does an incantation that makes this like gas poof everywhere. And it knocks everybody out, and then Daniel comes down and goes, that smells neat, or something. And then he passes out, and so the bus just keeps sliding on the rest of the ice slick as it's going. So they wake up, and they're, like, neck deep in a swamp somewhere. And the water nymphs get out, and they try to move the bus, and then they just say to hell with it, and they leave. Um, and Ice King says, as he said several times throughout the series, no, don't go. But they still left. So everyone kind of comes up with their own ideas. Uh, What is his name? Master Shake. Master Shake ends up touching uh, one of the sides of the... Not his name. Stop it. Say it right. I don't... I can never remember his name. Ancient Sleeping Magi of Life-Giving. Yeah, that's Master Shake. That's what I said. Anyway, Ancient Magic Sleeping Warlock. He touches the bus and turns into a sentient being that can't swim. So he immediately takes that back. Ron James panics, and he drinks a potion that doesn't really know what it does. It's like a plan B almost. And it swaps his head for Tree Trunk's body, which, yikes. And then it, uh, and then it shows Tree Trunks, who was, like, getting massaged or something. Just creepy as it sounds. So it, it cuts back to them, and now Ice King steals his and says, I'm out of here, baby. And he drinks some. He just swaps heads with the Magi guy was right next to him, so he doesn't have far to go. And so Daniel convinces them that maybe they can figure a way out of this, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they have to embrace destiny and they'll find their, you know, their way out of this. And all of a sudden the, the bus gets levitated, I think, and they're, and they're pulled out and they're like, what's going on? And it was Giuseppe! Giuseppe finally caught up to him, I guess. And it turns out he's got crazy wicked magic. And uh, and then he sort of shows them some, like, shimmering, like, I don't know, stars or, like, he lights up the trees in the swamp in some in some fashion. Um, and they're like, Giuseppe, are, you know, are you doing this? This is amazing. And he sort of winks and gives a thumbs up. And then he dissipates and then, like, turns into stardust of some kind? I don't really know. But neither does Ice King. Uh, he sort of figures that. Uh, whatever they were supposed to see, it was something new, something magical of some kind. So it's very ambiguous, the ending, but it sort of achieves what they wanted to set out to achieve, which was to, uh, they wanted to create, but they witnessed something new. So it's not the end of the episode. Uh, the end, we're back in the, uh, the wizard, uh, wizard village or wizard town or whatever the hell it is, where only wizards can get in. And, uh, 
Abercadano's walking by some guys. They're talking about their secret meeting, and they and one of them calls Abercadano a loser. But then he's kind of walking by the Magi, and they just sort of flash like a thumbs up, and they have these gold rings on their thumbs, and it's the it's the the crab apple tree um, that was that he, they had picked originally in the middle of this field, and you just hear Ice King's voice say Giuseppe. And so obviously it's some sort of secret society that they formed. Um, completely weird episode to me. I didn't. I kind of all over the place. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of it? Weird, also not terribly interesting. I, I I kind of expected more with them just putting all these kind of side characters together, ones who we really didn't know much about, like the Water Nymphs and some others. And I was expecting something really fun or funny or interesting, and it, it really wasn't. It was just a random one-off episode with, with little Finn and Jake involvement, almost no Finn and Jake involvement, and... I was just, I just grew disinterested as the episode went on, and when it was over, I was just like, well, alright, next episode, I guess. I just didn't, I just didn't really see a point to it. Uh, I liked it, but I felt like the writing was kind of all over the place. Uh, mostly because the incantations that we got the Giuseppe story, it was hard to tell if that was based on his life. I mean, I assume that was based on his life. I thought it was strange to build this mythology about a guy that we'll likely never see again. Why did the cauldron explode? None of these things really matter in the scheme of things, but I was just like, I don't know, kind of confused by the ending. The moral of the story is that the, the dork wizards get to be cool wizards now in their own little group, which I think is nice, but beyond that, I'm, maybe this is what's supposed to happen. I am curious about Giuseppe, and I don't think we're ever going to learn more about him. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a couple different things that, that get taken from it. That's why I, I, have a po- I have a positive experience with this episode. Despite some some lulls, quite frankly, and given the characters involved, that's really surprising. Um, there's some really funny moments. Everything inside the bus is really funny and, and crazy. Uh, so that was great. Um, and it puts the characters in a good place. It's nice to see... You know, it was really nice to see Ice King treated like a person. He's so often treated like this sort of like static villain or just a jerk or just selfish. This was a group of people where they like talk to him like a human being. And uh, I thought it was kind of refreshing in that way. So it made the ending where he didn't know what he saw, but the eagerness with which he wanted to understand or to appreciate was, it felt really new um, and and really cool. So I like that. I think it's actually going to have a big impact at some point. I think without going into spoilers, because this episode has not aired in the United States yet, in an upcoming episode, we get some very defined not rules, but ideas about the the Candy Kingdom and the idea of a new magic, like a new paradigm of some kind, um, is not with outside the realm of poverty. I think, I think, I mean, have, knowing what you're talking about, I don't think those two, I don't think that we're meant to take this new paradigm of magic that seriously. Well, then what was the point of the episode? Then? I don't know that there really was one. I I think they always have a I mean you know obviously the, the kind of the point is just giving uh, giving these characters a sense of uh, togetherness or maybe that comes into play in the future maybe they needed all those wizards to be able to call upon one another in some way but I feel like it has larger implications. Mm. Well, you know what has really large implications? Do you? Do you? Uh, I don't. 
Is it Princess? Is it Princess Day? Sort of. It's Lumpy Space Princess crashing a party. Yay! So it's Princess Day, and it's the breakfast. We're at the Breakfast Kingdom. Breakfast Princess is talking. She's you know emceeing Princess Day, which is a day when all the princesses get together and go over the royal. They go over governance between their, but amongst their kingdoms. And there are problems between the kingdoms because Slime Princess isn't pumping out eggs fast enough. I don't know why Slime Princess is suddenly an egg-producing creature. Uh, Raggedy Princess isn't giving Peanut Princess enough socks quickly enough. And Peanut Princess isn't giving the protein juice to Muscle Princess fast enough. Uh, and so on and so forth. So in the middle of all this, Lumpy Space Princess is getting very frustrated at how boring all this governance is going. I would imagine she feels like she's watching the original trilogy of Star Wars when she came to watch the... And when I say original trilogy, I mean the new trilogy. You guys know what I'm talking about. The, only nerds would listen to this. Y'all know what I mean. She freaks out and tells everyone they're being boring, but Breakfast Princess doesn't like that, and she says that Lumpy Space... She points out that Lumpy Space Princess lives in the woods, doesn't really have a kingdom right now, and shouldn't be there, and if she was invited, it must have been an accident. And Lumpy Space Princess points out that she wasn't invited, and that she's crashing, and that she already ate all, all of their food. So Breakfast Princess tells her to get out of there and calls her a pomplamoose, which Lumpy Space Princess takes huge offense to and storms off and starts um, defacing the walls of the Breakfast Kingdom. Marceline sees an opportunity here to have some fun, so she leaves to encourage Lumpy Space Princess to be destructive. Even though Princess Bubblegum warns her that she shouldn't, uh, Marceline ignores that and just pushes LSP to, to be bad. So they go, they decide they want to trash um, Breakfast Princess's bedroom, so they do that. Um, but in order to get into Breakfast Princess's bedroom, they have to assault a maple syrup guard. And they do it, you know, rather violently. And then when they're, once they're inside the bedroom, uh, they, they wreck stuff up, they steal a CD, and a lovely space princess assaults another maple syrup guard with a pomplamoose. Then they steal Breakfast Princess's car and go for a joyride, uh, at which point Breakfast Princess is alerted to the trouble that's going on and she leaves and leaves her sister Shrudel Princess uh, in charge of the proceedings. And Shrudel Princess just talks about breakfast in an adorable way. So Breakfast Princess approaches, runs after the car, and runs in front of the car to try to get them to stop, but Marceline accidentally hits Breakfast Princess with the car anyway. Uh, but she's alive, so they shove her in the pack, in the trunk of the car, and they drive out to the middle of the desert, which is where Breakfast Kingdom is anyway. And uh, they pull, they put on these paper plate masks, although it's obvious that it's them, and they tell Breakfast Princess to start digging, but then they don't say why, and then they drive off, and Breakfast Princess just stops digging and walks away. And then uh, Lumpy Space Princess and Marceline have a conversation about whether it's okay to be bad or if being bad makes you a bad person, because LSP is finally starting to feel a little bit of remorse. But Marceline, um, who seems, if you ask me, is a little too old to still be having, um, you know, pretty much um, elementary conversations about what makes someone good and bad, you know, not not really like advanced stuff. Uh, she says that there really aren't such things as bad people, just good people who do bad things sometimes, but it's okay if it's just once. Uh, you know, ignoring the fact that they've both done tons of bad things and that this is essentially a spree of destruction. Uh, but just then, uh, they realize that they're about to Thelma and Louise themselves off a cliff, but luckily they can both fly, so they hover out, and the car crashes, 
and Marceline saves LSP because LSP is flying, as we've seen in the past, is not so great at high heights. And I don't remember if there's anything more than that at the end of the episode. Is there more? Uh, they drive off the cliff. Right. And I feel like there's something after that. Just. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I definitely feel like there is something. Like maybe back at the. Pr- oh, doesn't uh, Breakfast Prince's last oh, right, right. do something? Right, okay. So then, so there's that. Then they cut back to the Breakfast Kingdom where Strudel Princess uh, is still talking about breakfast in a very cute way and, and almost poetically and then says, All right, is everybody happy? And everyone cheers and Princess Day is over. Uh, and it, it has, I guess the moral of this episode is that being cute and eating a good breakfast solves every problem. But the seedy underbelly of the episode is that you can do whatever you want, and Cartoon Network will tell you it's okay as long as you only do it once. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of this episode? I loved this episode. First off, I love breakfast food, so Breakfast Princess and the Breakfast Kingdom would probably be where I would choose to stay if I were in the Land of Ooh. Uh, this was super lumpy Space Princess heavy, and she was at her most lumpy Space Princessy here. And I think her and Marceline make a good tag team of destruction. And uh, it was just super fun watching them do their their thing. I had a couple legitimate laughs in here. It was just a really good time. And it was cool seeing all these princesses together in one big room, too. I thought that was a nice little novelty thing. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed this very much. Yeah, I um, I agree with everything you said, except I didn't like it that much. I didn't hate it or anything. I just... Uh... I didn't think it was all that great. Um, I will say that the uh, Marceline, you know, having a conversation about the nature of good and evil and sort of being, uh, having, you know, acting out the way she is at her age um, is sort of indicative of the character, having never really properly grown up, ever. She's she's very oftentimes, she has very sort of basic reaction to things, uh, like a child would, you know, just straight anger or just uh, when it doesn't call for it, when it calls for mediation or uh, you know, some sort of rational behavior, she very often just kind of acts out just because. Um, so I felt like that was in line with the character uh, pretty solidly. So there was, there was a lot to say, but I felt like what they actually had to say was, was pretty gnarly So and not something that you'd want to passed down to a kid uh so no i i didn't really I, I didn't hate the episode but i didn't i didn't like it all that much either yeah i actually feel the same way as you justin uh, part of it was also that this episode was supposed to air and was supposed to air and was supposed to air and kept getting delayed much like evergreen has been um recently and so i felt like there was a lot of build for me in anticipation to watch this and then i didn't get that much out of it and Thinking about the Marceline stuff, and I, I agree with you. I kind of feel like I'm not outside of the um, outside of her relationship with Ice King. I'm not that interested in Marceline as a character. See, I I am. I, I'm in, interested in the potential there because so so little of her actual potential has been explored. She's this sort of um, she's she's very static. She did, there's not a whole lot of growth. There's not a whole outside of the initial stuff uh, where she goes from just being a complete jerk. The Finn figuring out that she's just kind of compensating. I really liked that stuff, and that was interesting. It was kind of an arc, whereas, I don't know, uh, there are a number of characters on this show that uh, they, they haven't really made these 
a, a lot of characters really haven't adjusted all that much um, since they there's been a lot of sweeping changes throughout the show, but a number of them I feel like have just sort of stayed the same and uh, up to a point. And Marceline's one of them. She's just sort of uh, she's just Marceline now. She has snap reactions to things like uh, you know a prepubescent teenager and um she can do crazy demon stuff so there's really not a whole lot of that they've explored but i think there's plenty of potential there for stuff well speaking of demon stuff kevin you want to talk to us about the demon filled episode nemesis sure but i do think it's interesting you don't you don't find the character of marceline all that interesting considering all the the simon petrikov stuff that's come out i mean i said Aside from her relationship with Ice King. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyways. Yeah, Nemesis is the name of this episode. So there's this thing called the Veritas Brigade in the Candy Kingdom, which is run by Starchy and has, I think, one of the banana guards, this donut named Kenneth, and a couple other people I don't really recall. They don't really do much in this anyways. So uh, Kenneth the Donut explains that he has this invention, which is this device that uh, broadcasts these waves that can disrupt parallel dimensions. And Starchy is impressed by this, and he's writing out information as a notepad. And this group is supposed to be this secret society type thing, but Princess Bubblegum knows about it and is watching it through a surveillance camera hidden in the roof. So, as Starchy is writing out information on the notepad about the device... Uh, this laughter is coming from the corner of the room, and it turns out to be this character, the Peacemaster. And he slaps the device out of Kenneth's hand, and he explains how, the, you know, he doesn't, he hates evil, and that this could potentially cause problems. And he feels that there's this dark entity in the land of Ooh, and he, which is this, uh, alerts Princess Bubblegum of this. And then he finds the camera hidden in the roof that she's used to spy on the meetings, and says. He's going to take care of whoever's been watching uh, their meeting through the camera. This, of course, causes Prince Bubblegum to panic, and she triggers an alarm that sirens throughout the whole Candy Kingdom. Uh, the Peacemaster then jumps out of the window, and he, and while everyone else kind of stays behind, Starchy's waiting for him. And the Peacemaster runs to his minivan where he has three of his children waiting for him. And as he's driving away, his daughter says she wants to go to the Dark Arts Fair the next day, and he says no. Uh, his, and the kids start to ang- anger and aggravate him until the youngest child throws up on him and causes him to crash the minivan. Um, and so he gets angry and he blames Dark Arts for the ca- crash and he's kicking his minivan and Peppermint Butler is watching on. And back in the Candy Kingdom, Princess Bubblegum is talking to the Candy Kingdom military to alert them about the threat, but they're not really listening. So she decides to give Jake and Finn a call. But they don't hear the phone because they're too busy hanging out with rattle balls and practicing how long they can submerge themselves underwater while holding their breath. And so they just kind of continue to do that. So she goes towards this door where Peppermint Butler is, and she asks to bring um, her some tea so she can keep her cool. And he says, all right, I'll do it in a little bit. And he's doing some sort of meditation in the dark with a bunch of candles and stuff. And he says this chant, which transports him into this other dimension. And in there, he kind of takes this other form with some armor on. And he charges towards the Peacemaster, who's holding his baby. And he tries to strike the Peacemaster with a fire sword. 
but the Peacemaster counters it back and, and kicks Pepper causing him to fall to the ground. And it goes back into the real world where the Peacemaster is standing around Peppermint Butler with members from the meeting. And he says that Peppermint Butler is the evil one that he's been looking for. And Peppermint Butler tries to stab Peacemaster. Uh, but uh, what the Peacemaster does is he takes this hat and he throws Peppermint Butler in it, saying that this dimension that he's throwing him into is going to basically like disintegrate him in like this acid or something like that. But... Uh, what happens is Kenneth sees it and he doesn't really feel comfortable with what's going on, so he disrupts the dimension using his device and the hat falls to the ground and Parrot Butler is released and uh he throws this black smoke grenade so so that uh the Peacemaster can't get to him and in the smoke they they accept a battle with one another at the Wizard Battle Arena, um and Peacemaster says he's gonna use his charm sack. So back at the Wizard Battle Arena, when they go there, Peppermint Butler has taken the Peacemaster's children hostages, and he uses them basically to say, throw your peace sack away, or I'm going to turn them into demons. And he actually turns uh, one of his son and one of his daughters into demons, and then threatens to do so to the, the younger one, and then he finally throws his his, uh, his charm sack away. And he makes, uh, he makes the Peacemaster walk like a chicken and eat dirt and show them their underwear, which the kids all think is funny. They're, they're not really phased by being turned into into demons or anything. But even Pepper realizes what he did and had kind of gone too far, and he runs away. And so he goes back to uh, the Candy Kingdom, in which Colonel Candycorn is uh, spying on a snail that's licking a plant. Not the snail, just a different snail. And she reports to Princess Bubblegum, but she's busy looking out for the Peacemaster, and the episode concludes with Peppermint Butler bringing Princess Bubblegum her tea and leaving. Um, it was, this is okay, uh, episode, kind of like the Giuseppe episode, it kind of was a little slow at parts, uh, didn't really do much except for kind of show that Peppermint Butler ha- is, you know, it, like we've been saying all along, he has this dark side of him, and we got to see some of that, but otherwise it was... It was just another kind of standalone episode that may or may not have consequences. Uh, what did you think of it, Brad? I don't know. I feel the more I think about it, and the more times I watch it, the more I feel differently about it. Like I still, to this day, don't understand why Bubblegum sees Nemesis or sees um, Peacemaster as a threat when he threatens to expose her, because she's, as far as we know, not demonic or dark. She's just uh, uh, sort of a totalitarian kind of. Um, like there's nothing supernatural about her, and she and she puts that out there in a big way. She's interested in power, and 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 being able to see everything. But I don't think that she's dark in any way, and I'm not sure why she sees this guy particularly as a as a threat. Except that he exposed a camera. I'm, I don't know. Like I, I just don't see her caring about that. And then Peppermint Butler. I I don't know. I, honestly, this one got better for me with a repeat viewing. The first time I watched it, I was very kind of off on it uh, and then the repeat yeah nemesis or uh, peacemaster is kind of a harmless character we got to see peppermint butler do his thing the first time around i was a little bit bothered by how dark peppermint butler was willing to get but then in a uh, second thing it made total sense yeah i think it's fine it's a harmless episode except the i still don't get why bubblegum was so worked up yeah i like this a lot i mean i think i think with bubblegum part of it is any threat, it's a little bit of a, you get an ego when you're, when you're in that sort of leadership role and you've, 
uh, you know, stop so many attempts, you know, at the throne. Or maybe she's just bored. I mean, I think it's something that she enjoys at this point is, is being in this position to spy on people and, and be in control. And no matter how, you know, it's just some kid shaking his fist at the sky saying, you know, I will rule this kingdom one day. She gets something out of like squashing that, you know? So it's, it's creepy, but uh, she, I mean, she is interested. It's kind of her only vice, as it were. She wasn't getting something out of it. She was stressed out and like bugging and needed her chamomile tea, which was, you know, the big punchline of the episode. Right. It wasn't like she needed it or she just wanted to squash him. She was like, oh crap, let's get everybody involved, which is very different than what she usually does, which is just sort of handle it on her own. Right. I, I don't know. I think, I think really it's just a matter of, um, it's that, you know, you don't do something over and over again unless you get some sort of enjoyment out of it. And I don't know, maybe, or maybe it is just wearing on her. Maybe this is her reaction to every single threat and it's like, oh, now another one. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something we don't know about, uh, Peacemaster, um, that, that will come out in the future. I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping that, much like Giuseppe, yeah. That's where I see the connection, and the, it's where the episodes didn't totally hook me. Much like Giuseppe, I kind of hope we, we do get more Peacemaster later, because neither of these felt quite like they hooked me with those these new characters. And that's the thing, too, is that I think there's a, there, you know, there's, there's a better chance of Peacemaster coming back, and we'll get into who it is, but the, the person that voiced the character has voiced another character on the show, um, and so it, it's definitely... And, you know, you could see them being brought back, you know, for, for either one of those characters or both in that regard. So, well, they're um, both in this episode. Right. Even though one doesn't speak, which I thought was very he, strange. He speaks. He says 37 seconds. Oh, okay. Just, uh, so he has one line. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, that was kind of interesting as well. But the overall episode, I liked it overall. I mean, I, the message of the episode seemed clear by the end. Uh, I liked the way that they conveyed. Peppermint Butler's abilities, that was really cool and unexpected in a great, you know, in a long line of great kind of animation pieces um, that, that caught me off guard, the way he used his powers. Um, I, you know, it was kind of obvious the way that it was, I mean, just from, you know, from an everyday parenting perspective, the more you try to encourage someone or, or try to keep someone from something, uh, you're just as likely to be pushing them into it. And that's kind of ends up what happening, you know. He spouts about how horrible, you know, like, or, or the evils of the dark arts and, you know, demonic stuff in general. And that's, that's sort of where they end up. And they, they kind of resent him. I mean, they was probably resent him for a number of reasons, but we see them resent him. And by the end, they're sort of, they're like mocking his misfortune. Um, and I thought it was an interesting kind of, it, I think it defined Peppermint Butler for me a little bit more. And we'll get into in the next episode, we'll get into an even more definition that, um, dark magic doesn't necessarily mean like he's a bad guy. And I think that's the, cause in the end, he does like a really bad thing, but that's not, it wasn't even, it didn't even have to do with like the dark magic. He just made like a bad moral choice. And I think that's what it comes down to. You can have good magic or bad magic can be wielded in any number of ways by any number of people. It just depends on the morality of the person. And there's always kind of this question of, is Peppermint Butler, like, is he scheming? Does he have something going on? Like, is there something that he, like, kind of, that he really wants? Or, you know, what what are, what are his ambitions? And I think this sort of 
show I think it kind of set to rest this idea that that he's like evil in any way like like in this sort of like arch villain type that he may be um a practitioner of dark magic but I don't think he's evil did we ever think he was evil I don't I mean there's just the one part where he tries to eat Finn and Jake but that obviously went nowhere. I never got the I never got the vibe that he was a bad dude. Well, I thought that was the whole point was that he was hiding, you know, that he was in the subservient role. Uh, anyone that watches Gotham and that sort of penguin style of you're not going to see him coming, you know, like that's that's his character. And you know, we've just gotten so much stuff about, uh, you know, the first time we meet Peppermint Butler, I think he's murdered someone, hasn't he? He mur. Yeah, like he was like, like something like that. Yeah, out here and there was like a guy just like outside his house or something like that. Yeah, well, he sacrifices. So, I mean, he was gonna. He, it looked like he was gonna also maybe try to kill Cinnamon Bun. At right. One point. So it, it makes you wonder, you know, what what is his? You know, we know what he's using. We know he's using dark magic. But we don't know what his alignment is. We don't know what his what his goals here are. We still don't to an extent. But I think whatever they are, they're uh, good for. I, I don't think he has anything against. Yeah, I kind of feel like the whole point of Peppermint Butler is to show that like sometimes good things are bad and bad things are good and right. turn sort of expectations on their head. I feel like that's always sort of been the case with him. Sure. Well, speaking, you, you mentioned Joshua and Margaret investigations a minute ago, so I might as well run it down. So it's Jake's birthday, and he performs this little birthday ceremony and eats a whole cake. And Finn, who's obviously feeling uh, nostalgic about about his parents, uh, catches Jake saying something, you know, about his dad, and you know, he feels weird about all that because of all the drama that's gone down. Um, he, Jake, he catches Jake say something offhand about getting good genes from his parents, and that's why he's able to age without looking older. And so Finn asks Jake if, uh, you know, their mom and dad, Finn's adopted mom and dad, Jake's biological mom and dad, uh, ever told Jake any stories about the day he was born. So he says, well, he starts, we think, telling a story. Um, about the day he was born. So then we flash back to Joshua and Margaret, the dog. Um, they, uh, Margaret's pregnant with their, with their boy to be. And Joshua is, uh, cooking steak for dinner. And the two of them run an investigations business, a sort of a detective's business. And Margaret, uh, wants to get in the field and, you know, make some money because they've got a, a bun on the, a bun on the oven, a baby on the way. Um, but Joshua's nervous about, about what, you know, she's pregnant. What if something happens to her and, and the baby gets a black eye? You know, they'll never be able to forgive themselves. And it's very reminiscent of the way Jake was with Lady, um, right after the pups were born. Uh, Margaret's a little bit more, uh, willing to, to throw caution to the wind. So they check the, the ticker type and, uh, see that there are a few jobs that they could get. One is there's a, uh, vampire. Uh, marauding in the grasslands. There's a fire baby that's burning down the forest outside the Candy Kingdom, and there's a a woman whose pies have gone missing. Uh, so they they take the pies, but it was nice to get the little allusions to Flame Princess and uh, and uh, Marceline. So they go to Tree Trunks' house because it's of course her who's lost the pies, and they see tracks outside that look fake. And they interview Tree Trunks, um, but then about about the missing pies, and then um, Wyatt, her husband, sneaks in the window, and it becomes obvious Wyatt, who we met um, in the future at Apple Wedding, 
uh, was the one stealing the pies because he's not satisfied with seconds. He needs thirds and fourths and fifths. Uh, he's he's a real a real maniac for pie, for his wife's pie. So you can take that for what what you will. Um, and uh, the so Joshua, but but Tree Trunks is sure that there's still sure that there's a monster. Um, stealing her pies because Colonel Candycorn, who at the time was a lieutenant, uh, told her that he felt it touch his chest. So, um, Joshua and Margaret leave and quickly find tracks that look like real monster tracks, and they follow it. And, uh, we start to see the strange, these strange blue creatures, all the, like a blue cat and a blue owl, and it's got like a, a, a quadfurcated or quintfurcated mouth. Its mouth opens up in five different directions. It's got five or six eyes. Um, and then we see, coming out of the bushes, a larger version of the same kind of creature, and it attacks um, Joshua while Margaret, in her enlarged state, is stuck in a tree and bites his head. Uh, but then Margaret shoots it with an arrow and it starts bleeding its green, this green goo and runs away. But Joshua's been bit. And so he goes home and has what he assumes is his last meal and tells Margaret to to stab him and make it quick because, as we all know, once you've been bitten by a creature of the night, uh, you turn into the creature of the night. And Joshua doesn't want that to happen. But Margaret's been researching, and she finds that if they can get the venom from the creature, they can make an antidote. So um, Joshua gets ready to go, but then he he has a fever from the bite and he passes out. Um, and blue veins start popping out in his head. So Margaret gives him a kiss goodbye and says she's going to go get the venom. So she goes into the weapons room that they have, and she passes over the Pokeball and puts on her dandy hat and gets the crossbow, and she's ready to go. Um, And she goes out in search of the monster. And while she's out in search of the monster, Joshua's blue head is becoming more concentrated in the center of his head, and he gets a pulsing bump in the middle. So Margaret eventually finds the monster in this cave uh, and finds that all these animals were actually just one animal, a shape-shifting animal, and it shapeshifts into a baby. And Margaret looks around and notices that there's a lot of things in the cave that are baby things. And she's like, oh, a baby. It's like playing on her maternal instincts. Uh, But just when you think that it's got her fooled into thinking it's a little baby... She hits it or smacks it or something and, anyway, gets its venom out of its teeth and runs away saying she's sorry, but she's got the venom and she can go save her husband. Um, and then the shapeshifter turns into an elevator-looking type kind of creature and shoots lasers out in every direction and opens up a portal into some kind of slime world and jumps into it, which was very reminiscent of the evil world in um, Dimension and Lock and Key. If anyone listening has ever read that, I know these guys haven't. So she gets home, and she is ready to pop. This baby is ready to come out. And she finds Joshua in the backyard, and he is in a, a serious amount of pain, and the ball, the blue ball on top of his head is pulsing and pulsing and pulsing. And we hear a splat sound, and it seems like Margaret's given birth, but what has in fact happened is Joshua's head has exploded, just this part, and this whole, he's alive. But this this pod in his head has exploded, and out of it has come Jake. And Jake is laying in a puddle on the ground, and he stands up, and he does a little dance, and says he's happy to see his parents, very reminiscent of the alien popping out of the stomach in Spaceballs. And then he passes out, and then Margaret gives birth to Jermaine. And the episode comes to its penultimate scene with uh, Joshua and Margaret 
walking um, Jake and Jermaine in a stroller down the street, and Joshua says he has to put a hat on now to cover the scar that Jake gave him on his head. And they decide to raise them, uh, both as their children, and never tell them the truth about Jake's origin. And then we flash back to Jake, and it's revealed that since he didn't know the story, he just says he never knew a story about anything, and that the way that it was structured, if you watch the episode just the very beginning and just the very end, it would have been confusing to anyone listening to Jake tell the story, and so Finn's confused, but Jake ends the episode by laughing very hard. I love this episode. I think it's the perfect Jake origin story. It, it makes the stretchy abilities make sense. We know now that he both came from an alien and technically did come from a puddle, and that's where he got his stretchy powers, because he was born into this puddle of gunk. I loved hearing Joshua and Margaret's voices. They're so fun. Uh, everything about this was great, great, great. I loved it. I loved it. Justin, what'd you think? Yeah, same thing. Uh, really, really shocking to get the, the origin this way. And uh, that's one of the best parts about Adventure Time is when you get uh, the way that you get information like this is just so fun. Um, yeah, the episode was awesome. Start to finish, lots of callback references. It makes me sort of wonder, I mean, they must have gotten, like, you start timelining things. They must have gotten Finn very close to when they gave birth to uh, Jermaine and uh, Jake. Because if she was pregnant and the little baby was already out in the woods, and we know that that was, like, what, 17 years prior or something like that? Uh, we know yeah, that I, think, the, I, think, I think Finn's probably only, like... Um probably only a few months younger than Jake. Right, right. I mean, at this point, we... I mean, I always thought it was it was more of a gap there, you know? Just, yeah, but I guess you don't really need it, because dog years. I, I guess you don't, and the way he was born as well, he was sort of almost... You, you get a sense, I mean, he's already coming out singing, that he may be born more mature earlier, uh, you know, already can speak and things, and dance and things like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, so that that's certainly possible, but I, I find that that timeline very interesting. That they that there's very little time that they spent, if any, without one another. So, right. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the way we know for sure that Finn and Jake are so close in age is because we know that Flame Princess has already been born. So like Flame Princess is technically older than Jake. Right. So there's that. Which is yeah. That's again. That's kind of another little nugget that they'll have to. They create these timelines, and they're really good about sticking to them, so um, I'd expect them to, but that that was cool. The episode itself was really good, and um, I actually liked it. Was, it was really cool seeing um, Margaret kind of take this role. It really leads me to want to see more episodes, because if you recall, uh, so she goes from this, I can do, I can do for myself, you know, I can, I can do whatever I need to do. Um, to this mother that's very, very apprehensive, perhaps because of raising what she knew to be this sort of interdimensional demon, or, so, or not interdimensional, but just this creature that isn't her son. Um, because, you know, she kind of went from, she went from being one way to being very much another way. And, uh, it makes me want to see kind of that, that middle ground episode, uh, to kind of figure out how her demeanor changed so much and what happened to them, so. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome episode overall. Yeah, I'm with you. It was a really good episode. I'm I'm always a big fan of origin stories. It's one of the reasons I really like uh, the Batman animated series because um, they're done right and done really well. And this was also done very well. All the allusions to things that we've seen in the past uh, in this universe was also really fun. 
And yeah, it was just it was just a very well done episode and a very good story, and it was it was great. Really liked it. I'm glad we all agreed on one episode at least this week. Uh, Kev, snails, go. In thanks for the crab apples, Giuseppe. He's under one of the cows near uh, the farmer's house when he runs out with a shotgun to threaten them. In Princess Day, uh, he's inside a glass of OJ, like it's like an OJ flower vase in Princess in Breakfast Princess's room. In Nemesis, he's under the table in the bathroom at the very beginning of the episode. And in Joshua and Margaret Investigations, he's in the window of their house after Joshua was bit on the head. And that's where the snails were this week. Great. Not a lot of guest voices this week. Um, uh, Duncan Trussell returned as Ron James. Uh, Master Shake returned as the ancient sleeping magi of life-giving. And if you're terribly interested in his real name, it's Dana Snyder. And then Rain Wilson returned as Rattleballs and made his debut as Peacemaster. So that's it. Justin doesn't like talking about Twitter stuff. I'm starting to think maybe we should talk about the stuff at the top of the episode so that we do it when people are still listening. But for now, Justin, Twitter stuff. I'm at Justin J. Houston and I on Twitter and on PWPonderings.com. I do a podcast called Viva Chikara about Chikara Pro Wrestling. It is a very good podcast. I love it very much. Kevin. Yes, as uh, Justin said, he and I do a, the Viva Chikara podcast in addition to Floopin' the Pig. Uh, that show is weekly, this one. They're listening to now. Viva Chikara won't be back till late January. But you can find both of them by going to PWPonderings.com and directly downloading them. Or the best way to get them is to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio by searching for PWP Podcasts. You get the episodes a little bit earlier than everybody else if you do so. And if you're going to do that, leave a nice review and comments and all those things. Uh, but if you are directly downloading them from pwponderings.com, use our Amazon links or Amazon banner and high spots banner to buy stuff from them. If you're going to buy from them anyways, give us a little kickback, keeps the show running, and we appreciate all of that. Of course, follow PW Ponderings on Twitter to see when all the podcasts are posted and other great things from PW Ponderings that are posted as well. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at kford 13 Brad. Hamburgers. All social media hamburger stuff you're curious about at Burger Weekly. All Brad Garoon things that you're curious about, twitter.com slash Garoongate. That's it. We'll be back next week with the very last ever four-episode Flooping the Pig because we're almost caught up. Thanks for Flooping the Pig. I Floop the Pig. And then-